0: This is a Stand with Lynette podcast. You have episode 38, Turning Hardship into Hope with Cherie Hyde. What would your life be like if you knew you could stand firmly on the covenant path, come what may? My name is Lynette Shepherd, and I am here to help you do just that. If you are a Latter-day Saint woman with a desire to brighten your faith as the world grows darker you are in the right place together let's stand hello hello my friends Welcome back to Stand with Lynette. I'm so happy you're here today, and I cannot wait to share with you the interview that I have. It has been one of my favorite conversations that I have had on or off the podcast for a really long time. I loved the time that I spent with our guests today, and I really think you're going to love this interview. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to give you a quick reminder that this will be the last interview that I publish until the new year, Because the holidays are crazy, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. And I don't want to get behind. I don't want you to get behind. So we're just going to take a couple weeks off and enjoy the holidays with our families or doing whatever it is that we do at the holidays. And then... We'll come back again the first week of January, and I will have some new episodes for you, some new interviews for you. I'm excited for all that is in store. But for today, let me tell you just a tiny bit about my guest that I interviewed. Her name is Sheree Hyde. She contacted me via email, told me a little bit about her story, and asked if I would like to interview her. And I said yes with so much enthusiasm because Sheree's story is amazing. She, I think, Turns 87 years old this very week. And so she has had a lot of experience in her life. She says it's the worst experiences and the best experiences. She's navigated divorce when she had five young children back in the 1960s when that was not really a thing. She served several missions, the first one being when she was 14 years old. That story is fascinating. She tells all about that and just the ups and downs of life and what it was like as a single mom and finally getting remarried. And and all the things that went into that. It is absolutely fascinating. So many things to learn from Cherie. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hello, my friends, I am so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Sheree Hyde, who is here to share her story with you today. And I am super excited because she is a ripe old age of 87 years old, and has so much wisdom and experience to share with all of us no matter where we are on our path, because she's been through a lot of things in her 87 years and has a lot to share with us today. So welcome, Sheree, I'm so
1: happy that you're here. I'm so happy that I'm here too. I can hardly believe it. This is very exciting. <laughs>
0: very exciting
1: for me too.
0: Thank okay, you. so would you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Okay, um, I grew up in the Midwest, Wichita, Kansas, and um, m- my parents were completely inactive after they left Salt Lake. So I didn't know anything about the church until I was 14. And I guess my mother and father were very unhappy. And if one of them went to sleep, the other one would kneel down. So they still believed and asked for help. And so along with that, I guess my dad felt prompted for us to go to church. And church, when you when you talk about the mission field, you know, it was clear on the other side of town and a real tumble-down little church. And but anyway, we went. And it wasn't a normal Sunday. It was um, it was a special meeting that they have, district meeting. And so the, um, the mission president was there. And of course we'd never met him. And uh, at the end of the meeting in the morning, they announced that there would be lunch and then there would be a meeting at two o'clock. And so the mission president came up to my dad and said, um, are you coming to the two o'clock meeting? And dad said, no, we weren't planning to. And the mission president said, be here. Oh, and wow. so, so we raced home because mother was afraid to um, eat the food that everybody brought. And it was kind of <laughs> particular. So of course, we were late. So, so the mission president was waiting on the porch for us. And of course, I took the younger children in. I had a younger brother and sister. So I didn't know about this conversation then. But I guess that the mission president said, I have come here fasting because we want to divide this little branch. We need a branch on the other side of town, on the east side of town. And I've been fasting and praying to know who should be the new branch president. And when you walked in, the spirit said to me, there's your man. And my dad said, President Brown, I I am not worthy. And he said, Can you make yourself worthy? And my dad said, Oh, yes, I can. So when we went in, which was a great surprise to my brother and sister and me, you know, they announced before long that dad would be the new branch president. And the people were looking around like, we have never seen him before. We don't know anything about him. I think one man even raised his hand, you know, against voting for him. Oh, wow. But that was the beginning of the most wonderful time of my life. So I feel that I'm part convert and and part, I was born in the covenant, but I didn't even know what the covenant was. So from then on, it was missionaries and investigators and our house was just full and it was so wonderful. and so I knew right away that I wanted the gospel for the rest of my life. and the wonderful thing is that I think my parents tried so hard to make up for the lost years of inactivity. They ended up my dad ended up being mission president in England in nineteen fifty eight and it wow. was yeah it was all it was all on mission too They had no stakes so. They were over England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) I know. And of course, he worked so hard and the missionaries loved him and loved my mother. And so they led the whole church in baptisms while they were there. That's so cool. I know they even came out from Time Magazine, a couple of reporters to see what on earth these missionaries were doing. Can you imagine them trying to understand it?
0: <laughs> no. Did, so did they publish an article in Time Magazine? Oh, yeah.
1: oh, it's two pages. And my brother's lost his copy and my sister and I have, and we're just sick. But anyway, it's true. And that's awesome. Yeah. So our, our lives went from no church to church 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 and we loved it
0: oh that sounds that sounds so cool i don't know just listening to you tell it i want to go back and live your life i oh. want to go back and live through that but there's That's... some parts
1: that you wouldn't want to live but i did it for you yeah you don't have to do that
0: <laughs> okay so after you you kind of started going back to church and yes. your family became really involved and converted and you just loved it Yes. What happened then? What happened when you became an adult? What, what was that journey like for you?
1: Okay. Well, before we, we were sort of adults, we came out for conference then every year, which was a thousand miles uh, to April conference, to October conference. And the conference, which you wouldn't remember because you weren't born yet, <laughs> was when David O. McKay challenged every member to be a, a missionary. So we got back to the motel and I thought it was a nice challenge, but my dad, he said, we're going to all become missionaries, our whole family. And I'm just, okay, how are we going to do that? And he said, I'll find out how. So when we got back to Wichita and he went to the mission president, we were set apart as district missionaries. My sister was eight. My brother was, let's see, I was 14. So my brother was 12 and we started learning the missionary discussions
0: so you were official missionaries at eight and 12 years old uh-huh
1: yes i yeah. i was 14. so, oh, so I, 14. You know, yes and we were so excited but then it came to but where do we find someone to teach so we started to pray for that and we went to have our christmas pictures taken in august in wool clothing It was really a trial my dad liked to do everything early so but we were having fun we were joking around and having fun and And afterwards, the the photographer, his name was Jerry Rogers. And he said, why is it your family has so much fun together? I mean, it's just amazing. And I think it was my brother who said, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this guy says, huh? And then my dad said, if you will come to dinner Friday night, uh, my family and I will, will teach you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can have my wife's wonderful spaghetti and meatballs. (laughs) So so we were so excited. My little sister, it was so sweet because she had her little scriptures, you know, and a red pencil, and she couldn't hardly spell anything right. And oh, but we were all so excited. And and he could feel the spirit immediately. He was just a wonderful convert. He later became a, a bishop. And And so then we just started praying again. Our goal was to have a family or a person uh, be baptized every year that we taught. And a kind of funny side story is this poor lady had married a non-member and she begged him to take the missionary discussions for years and he wouldn't. And finally he agreed to. So she called and said, I want the very best missionaries. You've got the very most experienced, the very best. And they sent her my brother and me 12. And I can still see her face. She opened that door and looked up and then she looked down and there we were, (laughs) but you know, the Lord, he can use anyone as an instrument. And he felt the spirit through the discussions and he was baptized. So we all started being missionaries very, very early. Then, um, and in fact, I went to a high school of 4,000 and I was the only Mormon. Wow. I know I got teased a lot, but my dad saw it as a great opportunity for missionary work. And he said, now you've got to be an example because you might be the only Book of Mormon that these kids ever read. So he ran me for office every year. (laughs) And of course I won because he was a great campaign manager.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> so we used to have
1: something called bring a friend to church and once a year. And so 23 of my girlfriends came to church. And so my dad lined us all up and sent the picture to um to the church news. So that's that's what happened up until I went to um BYU, which was such a dream to me. I couldn't imagine that there could be that many Mormons altogether that were you know, trying to live the gospel. And it was the most fun year I ever had, except finally I wasn't even going to class. I was having so much fun. Oh, was
0: so, <laughs> so fun. You yeah, forgot why you were there. I did. I, I went
1: uh, out on scholarship and came back on the dean's, you know, bad list. Oh, so, no. <laughs> yeah. So when I came home, dad said, you're going to find out the how blessed you are to be able to get a college education. So you're going to work this department store, and and he said, um, then perhaps you'll learn what you threw away. So I learned, and I hated that that job, but it was a very good lesson that my dad was teaching me. At this time, I was good friends with a fellow named David Stevens, whose um, grandmother was Jewish, and his parents didn't practice any religion. He was. Almost pretty, he was such a handsome boy, which to me <laughs> really went against him. But, but he was a good friend, and I used to tell him about the people I was dating and and so forth. So before I went to BYU, he asked me on a real date, and I thought, well, I can let him kiss me because, see, I'm going to go to BYU and marry return returned missionary, and I'll never see him again. But I I knew that I'd made the right decision because when he kissed me, well, I was just, (laughs) and I thought it's good that I'm going to marry Richard missionary. So, so he used to come into the store and tease me, you know, he'd say, who could I date? Who's cute that, you know, just to give me a bad time. Uh, Eventually we, Kept dating. I I got to go back to the Wichita State University and meet all A's because I'd learned my lesson. (laughs) But we fell in love, which was not in line with either of our plans for our future. And we got married in August and started our life. And I I think your husband is a dentist, right?
0: He is, yes. Yes.
1: So we went through uh, the last year of dental school in Kansas City, Missouri. I mean he did but you know it's we it's a we thing absolutely absolutely but i kind of helped by having a baby every year i just (laughs) but i was thrilled because i had told him now i want six children and he said oh so do i and he'd never even babysat a child (laughs) after the first one he was not too thrilled but anyway it was before the pill so you could just kind of you know right but we had four beautiful children by the time he graduated. And, um, and we were together for 13 years and he was not a member when we got married, but he said, now I want you to teach me your religion, but I don't want anybody else. I don't want missionaries. I want you. So that was fine because I was a missionary. So, so in between all my beautiful little nightgowns were the um, tracks for each lesson. And so we started out on the honeymoon having the missionary discussions. It was interesting because in December, he said, well, we finished the lessons and I only took them because I wanted to be able to say to you, now I've listened with an open mind, but I could never believe what you do. He said, but unfortunately, I do believe
0: it. Oh, you were a good missionary, see?
1: Well, I don't know, but he, I know that he built the spirit and had a testimony. So my brother baptized him. And he was in two different bishoprics before he left the church. In fact, his his last one, um, he was a state missionary. We were state missionaries together. But his parents were both alcoholics, and he had started sneaking around drinking again. Oh no. It's darn those addictions. Yeah. And so when we were married 13 years. So I had five children by then, 12 down to uh, three years old. And he said, um, I don't believe the gospel anymore. And I um I want to be a bachelor for a year. And I'm looking at the five children thinking, it's kind of late, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Bachelors don't have five children and a wife. You know, right. So he said, but I just need to get this out of my system because we married so young. And then at the end of the year, we'll get remarried. And he honestly did come back in a year and asked me to marry him. And I just thought the way he was living, you know, and drinking and all, I thought, I don't even want you around my children, let alone, you know. Right. When when all that happened, um, I thought if I'm going to raise the children alone, I I want family. And by then my parents we're back in Salt Lake and my brother and sister. So, so we moved here. And it was a real heartache time because I still thought I was in love with them. And it was just such a shock. And I had to um eventually I had to go back to school because of course I'd stopped school to get him through. And I learned quickly that you can't make very much just being a woman um with five children and right. that you need someone to tend, at least the three-year-old. And so I was blessed with a wonderful thing I wish they still had for divorcees and widows. The federal government would pay for you to go back to school. I mean, your books, your even babysitters, everything. Wow. But you, yeah, you had to keep your grades up because at the end of every semester, they checked on you, of course and i was so thrilled to have that opportunity so i i became a special ed teacher um secondary and, and it was a hard eight years but it's still the stories that the grandchildren love to hear the most you know how we threw newspaper routes and we cleaned office buildings at night and we you know all the things we did made us very close and as i say the grandchildren love to talk about those years and the funny funny stories that we had about it so we learned to laugh when things were really bad because things were really bad financially and so we learned to laugh a lot
0: okay let's stop there for a minute that's so much packed into that story so (laughs) when you were there with these five little children and finding (laughs) yourself alone raising them Yes. What did that do to your your outlook on life, your faith, your relationship with the Savior? How What did that look like for you?
1: It looked overwhelming, of course. Yes. And sometimes I would lie in bed at night and say, Heavenly Father, thou gavest me these five children. <laughs> Please help me. Because I, I felt in no way prepared to earn a living, to be a student. So by then, you know, I was a student then I was a teacher and then I was a mother and a father of course and I was learning about leaky roofs and and cars oh don't even mention cars and <laughs> so yes it was very overwhelming but also it was very spiritual because i had to grow up i mean someone had to be the grown up and i was only only one in the house How old were you at that time 32 that's so young. Of course, I know. I know now. I think, oh my gosh, I was so young. But of course, at that time, I thought that I was old because yeah. I felt old with everything I was trying to carry. But the children were wonderful. They were. They were never the problem. They were. Um, they just considered that we were all in this together. And except for my oldest son, and I was left in labor so long that. He was brain damaged at birth, so when he was 14, he decided that he wanted to go back and live with his dad in Kansas City. And of course, I knew his dad would not be thrilled about that. So we went to court, and when they're 14, they can decide which parent they want to live with. So he went to live with his dad, but of course, he ended up in military school. and the sad thing all around that but eventually i got him back that's another long story when you're 87 all your stories are long. <laughs> and they're We're also they're, good though yes but but it was so so good because i remember my mother saying i just hate all that you're going through you know and and i just said no and she said what and i i said i'm finally growing up i'm finally Learning what life is all about and how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and we went, we went to church every Sunday. The kids were great about that. I had callings, but really to be 32 and been sealed in the temple, which we were, of course, eventually, and and be divorced was unusual. This was 1968. It right. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't long before it was very common. And, uh, and that was sad. So I said to my brother, I'm so discouraged. No one is going to want to marry a divorcee with five children, two dogs, three cats, and student loans. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, you need a priesthood blessing. So he gave me this blessing along with my wonderful brother-in-law who'd been trying to help us. and He had his own family too. And the last paragraph of that blessing was so wonderful. My sister wrote it down, even. And what he said was, um, You will not leave this earth, the woman, alone. The Lord has prepared a wonderful man for you. You don't even have to look for him. I thought, wow, this is a blessing
0: yes
1: Uh, yes but eight years later there'd been no special deliveries you know (laughs) (laughs) and so so i thought well that was just really nice but you know it's not going to happen and then a fellow that i dated who was in the air force in wichita um, and that's the only way ever we could have ever met um he his wife had left the church and left him so both of our converts left us and left the church and we were the ones that got dumped, so we were Aww. the ones with the heartache. But when he came home from summer camp, and she'd moved him out into their trailer and filed for divorce, he said, "Maybe if I go to to General Conference, it was October of 1976, you know, maybe I'll feel comforted." Because he felt such a failure, and and, and he was worried about, um, you know, how much he would have the girls, the whole thing about divorce many things about divorce and so he he came to salt lake he was living in um he was living in colorado and he was still in the air force he was a a jet pilot and which is a very romantic thing (laughs) to girls anyway so he he went you know and and watched conference when you still could go in and see it live and he came out and walked by a pay phone and he said this just like you know, way to explain it to spirit, but it's just like a voice in your head said, Call Cherie. And he thought, That's crazy. She will have remarried, you know, she I wouldn't know how to what name and so forth. So he went back in the next session. He came out and he said, This time it just stopped him, call Cherie. And so he thought, Well, I know her folks, you know, maybe they're in the phone book. And and he called, and and my dad, you know, had died in the meantime. And but my mother was just, oh no, she'd love to hear from you and so <laughs> forth. And and she gave him my phone number and he called me. And I can't remember if I invited him for lunch between sessions or after the four o'clock session, doesn't really matter. Don't remember what what I fixed either. But the children were just, oh no, 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 we do not want a stepfather. Because briefly I tried marriage without love, terrible. I think if anyone at that point had said, I will support you, and you can stay home with your children. I would have said yes. And what's your last name? So right. that was not not was terrible. We had to escape from that in the middle of the night. Bad deal. Oh, wow. So I learned it was easier to do it myself at that point. So I I said to the children, honestly, this is just an old friend. I am not putting you through that again. And, you know, maybe when you're all grown, if, you know, I might try again. But then when he was walking up to the front door oh in his air force uniform he was so handsome and the words of that priesthood blessing went through my mind again and i thought maybe maybe gary hyde is the one that, that the lord was telling me about so the children were just barely civil you know <laughs> polite but nothing else and so after we ate and went upstairs he had to get back to colorado was always very straightforward so he said i was very much in love with you 23 years ago and i think i could be again but i don't want to play games are you interested now that's straightforward and then he sealed the deal with the best kiss and i said i'm very interested (laughs) i can't say no to that (laughs) no and and he he said oh they just had two daughters and he said oh you have such wonderful children I've always wanted more children bigger family and I thought oh, I could make that possible <laughs> yeah I could <can> so, help <laughs> so I think eight weeks later he retired from the Air Force and and we got married and put our families together oh my goodness that first year it's it's hell that first year trying to put them together.
0: so how old were all of the kids at this point well let's see my
1: oldest daughter was at BYU So, you know, she was like 18, 19 or something. And then the um, next two were both in high school. And then my youngest daughter was just 12. And the daughter that he got custody of was 11. So, of course, they did not like each other at all at first. But once we bought a house and and settled in. I mean, when they're sharing the same bathroom, they just can't ignore each other. So they've got right, to have some right, kind of agreement. Right. So it was a tough first year because children always want the person that you made be their other parent. And that's just not going to happen in most of your courses. So we, we muddled through and we thought it would be easy for him to get a job. He was a retired Air Force Colonel. He was only 47 years old and he could not get a job. Anywhere. They keep telling him he was overqualified. So finally, I said, Honey, you've got the GI Bill. You know, if there ever anything you wanted to be besides a pilot. And he said, Yes, I've been a branch president and a group leader, you know, so many times in the Air Force. I would love the counseling. I I would love to have a degree in social work or something. So he was the oldest student at the University of Utah. He was forty-eight when he went back, and um, and of course they told him a retired Air Force colonel is not going to make a good therapist. And he said, you know, just watch me. So he got he got that degree, and then we had of course weddings and graduations and all all these things. And he only job he could get after he got up you know, with the second master's was for the Epilepsy Association. So we kind of all did it because his daughter, Lisa, was very good with numbers. She took care of the books. And then um, the daughter that was, you know, they're both just 11 months apart. She was in charge of the biofeedback machine, which which I got to be donated. And then the the daughter that was married to a fellow in school, uh, they needed more money. So they cleaned the offices i mean it was just his whole family thing and it, and it it was hard he didn't make much money and but he loved the, the counseling so we found out both of us how sweet a marriage can be and that the love that we had felt for our first spouses was so so little by comparison i mean gary always he was a nurturer I mean, the night we got married, he touched me into bed. I had been the nurturer, you know, the oldest right. and everything. But he he loved people. He never judged anyone. And he he loved therapy. And so many of his clients kind of became part of our family, which is absolutely against all the things that we <laughs> <the> okay. <laughs> <laughs> But we were married for 46 years, and it was the best thing we ever did. I... I don't know how many missions we served i know we did three no we did two foreign missions to london which was very oh exciting. that's
0: cool back where oh. your dad served
1: yes that's right and some people there still remembered them oh and he also became the bishop and then it was good because he was retired by then and so he could just do counseling through the day all the time just right, you know. right. and so that was a, a very sweet time in our lives we were still we were living in California because LDS Family Services offered him a job there and we hadn't considered it because we wanted the girls to be able to you know graduate from the school they were in and so forth. But they thought it was exciting, and all the others were married or gone, and we just had those two younger ones, Christy and Lisa. So we moved to Ventura, California. That was a sweet time. That was like living in the mission field because nobody had their family there. So you did Thanksgiving together, you did Christmas together, you became more than friends. And so we served in between, we just served um, church service missions. And I think the one that we felt the spirit in the most was the 12-step program. I mean, my, my son that had gone back to live with his dad, who introduced him as his younger brother because he didn't want anyone to know he was old enough. Oh, that's <laughs> you know, bad. terrible. So he was 14. Yeah, he was 14, but he was very tall. And so so that he was smoking pot, a dentist,
0: you know, oh, with no. his father's friends,
1: yeah, and drinking. And so he he did, he became an addict and an alcoholic. But um we got him back years later, and and it turned out good when he died he he was buried in his temple ropes he was worthy oh, he finally
0: yeah
1: he was finally clean so i i just feel that that i've had the best life i've had the worst and the best and and that's why i still feel like i'm part convert because i could remember how empty life was without the gospel and how it was just my relationship with the savior and heavenly father that got me through the tough years and Yeah. yeah and we loved serving missions one of our granddaughters made this neat thing from our badges and so it's got the church service missions on one button and it's got the we always did um proselyting and baptism so it was knocking on doors of the inactive. Good
0: for you. That's awesome. <laughs> Not all senior missionaries can claim that. Yeah,
1: we really liked it. And and uh, when we were in our 80s, Bishop came to us and said they wanted to call us on another mission, one of those where you live at home. And I said, Bishop, do you know how old we are? And he said, of course, <laughs> I know how old you are. <laughs> but he said, the Lord's made it clear that he wants you to the stage of your life. So that was our last mission and it was our sweetest mission because i think we were older and we could appreciate how wonderful it is to to really be an ambassador for the savior to wear that badge to and you feel it you you get that inspiration you know what you're supposed to say when you're talking to an inactive or an investigator and the wonderful thing is it makes a new bond for a married couple. I mean, you're always in Relief Society. He's in priesthood. You, you know, you both have testimonies, but when you sit there and watch your husband teach the gospel, you fall in love with him at a deeper level than you Mm -hmm. ever have.
0: That's so sweet. I look forward to those years. I didn't serve a mission as a youth, and so I've always said when when we get older, we're gonna go. Oh, and it <laughs> so, will be so
1: wonderful. You will love it and you'll never want to quit being a missionary. <laughs> but he he also worked out all the time. I mean, he was unbelievable. But and he was always in such good shape through that whole last mission. I mean, he was getting close to 90 and no one could kick up with him. Mission president said to him the other, um, missionary couples come to me and complain how hard this is i just say do you know how old the hides are
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can't complain <laughs> you no know, i always felt like i was hanging
1: out to his cocktails but <laughs> but i think not just for the romance not just for the children the grandchildren or for us the lord wanted us together to be missionary companions because we were That's so opposite so that it worked so well <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good to hear because my husband and i are also very opposite
1: (laughs) that's that's opposites do attract they They do. do they do they do and and my husband was so serious and 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 really he got to where he was lighter and could laugh more i feel like that's what i brought him plus the five children the dog the cat
0: the <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> student loans you brought a lot to this i brought a lot trip. with me baggage hey,
1: right. some call it yes but <laughs> the thing was that um we had learned how important it was missionary work was and there are those older people they weren't as old as we were but you know older that said. Those young boys on on bicycles could never understand what we've been through. Yeah. So it, it it was good. And as soon as we were released, he started having these little strokes, and um, and we were in and out of the hospital. And then I got to be with him when he died, which seemed so right because we'd shared everything. Yeah. And he was he was in that kind of coma state that they're in before they die. And I was so thankful to just be able to keep kissing him and touching him while he was still warm and thanking him, most of all thanking him, because at his 90th birthday party, it didn't matter which children were from what marriage, they all said that they knew that he loved them as much as he loved the ones that had his blood. and how thankful i was for the influence that he was on my children's lives so that's my whole story
0: that's a beautiful story it's so beautiful all of the different pieces of it like you said you love your story because it's been hard and it's been wonderful and you've been able to see the contrast and that's helped you appreciate it all the more and i love that so much
1: yes i've been so blessed I just want, I know so many times listening to podcasts, I hear women tell the same story about, you know, the husband that leaves, leaves a church and leaves them and the children. I just want them to know that even though they can't possibly believe it at the time, many of them will have a sweeter marriage than they ever had, than they ever lost and that they will grow in ways that they never could have thought they would because they have to. So I just I just want women to still to still have faith in the future. I always pray it's on this side of the veil for them. But but golly they're going to really have a lot of choices between the Civil War and the, <laughs> the First World War and all those men that died so young. Oh, that's
0: true. That's, uh-huh. I've never thought about that. Well, you <laughs> haven't
1: had to, but
0: uh, <laughs> but I have. <laughs> yeah, you've lived through, you've lived through a lot. And thank you. I was just going to ask you, you answered my question before I asked. I was going to say, what would you tell the women who are uh-huh. in your shoes back when, back when you were so young and unexpectedly, a single mom? And that is beautiful advice. That, that brings so much hope into the equation. Oh, I Yes.
1: Think. Yes, and also the growth that you have because you have to depend on the Savior. You have, you're just praying all the time when you're driving, when you're, you know, because everything's up to you. <laughs> so you have got to have, you've got to have a close relationship with deity and a testimony of the gospel, especially now. I don't know anyone lives without it. I'm so thankful for it, because now I'm learning to be a widow. <laughs> so,
0: right, right. Um, and look um, at you, 87 years old. You still have so much life and energy and joy. And I could sit here and literally listen to your stories all day. We'll have to do this again sometime, and we'll get into some of the other stories. Because
1: I'll probably do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would love like that.
1: A- when you live alone it's so exciting to talk to a real human being you know oh, well i'm
0: <laughs> glad it got to be me today this has been such a joy now i have one last question for you as we wrap up this interview and it is what does standing with the savior mean to you
1: it means everything to me it breaks my heart growing up in the 50s when life was pretty sweet i know there were bad things happening we didn't know about. But it was it was a, a different time, even a different time for my grandchildren to, to my children and now great-grandchildren. We know it's the last days, and, and yet this generation was chosen for now because they just go through life like a minefield, stepping around all the mines, and then they end up in the temple worthy to be sealed to their companion. It, it just touches my heart because they have such. It's such a different world than we grew up in, and I. I need to say that I couldn't have done anything without my wonderful children. I had three daughters, and then Gary brought me two more. So my five daughters, and then my son that was the addict. He died, and but it was good. It was time. He was. He just shot his body, but the spirit was where it needed to be and then i have therefore i just have one son but i've got 20 grandchildren and 20 some great grandchildren it's really easy they just call you and tell you (laughs) (laughs) and don't be afraid of being old tell these dear women it's the best time i love to hear that well it's true if you have your help and and you have the gospel All of a sudden, you think, I've taken care of people my whole life. And now I don't have to take care of anybody but me. I don't need to fix dinner if I don't want it. I don't have to be home at any certain time. Nobody's worried about me. Nobody's. And and then the wonderful thing is because you're so old, people think you're wise and that's good, too. (laughs) You are wise. You are. (laughs) I learned I learned a lot of things from Making mistakes, we all do, and and I'm so excited for the day that my husband comes for me. But but my same brother gave me a priesthood blessing, telling me that the promises I've made to others in the pre-mortal life and and in the family, and that I'm going to live to be very, very, three berries, very, very, very old. And then wow. the doctor told me the same thing. So you know. I don't know. I didn't want to be very, very, very old. But but now that I feel so good and, and so I visit the widows in the ward and I make homemade bread and take to them, the ones that can't get out to church and think they're forgotten. And I thought I was doing it for them. And it turned out it's for me. That's for both of you. I think I made my own calling. Oh, I love
0: that. You want (laughs) to come to my ward? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: Arizona. I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> <Yeah>. to <heat, so. laughs> I hear
0: you. Here. But it's really nice in the winter. <laughs> oh, yes.
1: Yes. I, I'm sure that it is. And July and August is pretty hot here anyway. So. But I intend to die in this house, but then what we intend doesn't always happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are a beautiful soul, Cherie. I've loved having this time to talk to you and get to know you and hear all of your stories. And it's been such a joy. Thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: No, I thank you because I thought Ooh, am i really supposed to do this am i supposed to turn myself in i mean i may just make it idiot of myself i haven't even told my daughters i'm doing it in case i just you know <laughs> you've done well, anything but that <laughs> yeah i don't want to embarrass them but thank you so much thank you for what you're doing and if i were younger i would do the same it's a wonderful <laughs> calling that you've given yourself. Well... no the lord gave you
0: Thank you. It's been it's been a journey for me. And I'm just I'm loving talking to all these women and hearing their stories and the light they have to share. It's such it's a gift for me. So I'm glad that I get to be in these shoes. And I'm glad that you were in the hot seat today. It was amazing.
1: (laughs) It was fun. I didn't hardly let you say two words, but that was the 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 point. point (laughs) (laughs) Nope, that was that was the whole plan. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, dear girl. Just keep on with your mission and we women need it. We need to to stand together. We need to be strong at this time in the world and, and thankful, thankful for being here for the last days.
0: All right, my friends, wasn't Cherie amazing? What did you learn from her? So many things that she said resonated with me, but among them was that there is always hope through the Savior Jesus Christ. No matter how lonely you feel and how hard it is, those are the times when we we can actually bind ourselves to the Savior the most, because we have to figure it out, like she said. I loved that, and I loved how she said that we should be thankful for being able to be here at this time in the history of the world, in the last days. That is something to be thankful for. Sometimes, I think it feels kind of overwhelming to be here at this time when, like she described, it's like walking through a minefield and hoping that we do not step on any of the mines. And that can be stressful and that can be worrisome as a parent, as a grandparent, especially when we're watching our kids maybe not make some great choices and hoping that they will find their way through that minefield without too much permanent damage. But this is a time to be thankful, to be alive, to be excited, to be part of this great winding up scene. And I absolutely loved that thought from Cherie. So I hope that you took something away from what she said and that you will take it and apply it in your lives. Maybe that's looking for more opportunities to bind yourself to the Savior. Maybe that's looking for more opportunities to share the gospel because she was an expert at that. Maybe it looks like giving yourself a calling, as she said, and taking homemade bread to the widows of her ward. What is it that you feel called to do? Based on what Cherie said today, I invite you to do it. So together, we can stand a little more firmly on the covenant path, a little closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again, my friends, for being here. And I will see you back here in 2023. Have a wonderful holiday season, my friends. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life, even in this small way of listening to this podcast. I feel so honored to be part of your life. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. If you are ready to dive in deeper and join the stand movement, find me on Instagram at Lynette Shepard, that's two N's, two P's and an A-R-D, or at LynetteShepard.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That works wonders in helping us to find the people that we can help. Thank you again, and remember, you
1: were born to stand. See you next time.